This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Interesting discussions with people in and around at the independent music scene. I'm, I'm trying to sound a little bit chipper because I'm trying to combat the June gloom that is existing outside. Isn't June a strange month in uh, more so in Southern California just because it's like, you know, somewhat chilly in the morning and then all of a sudden one o'clock rolls around and it's hot as hell. But whatever. That's that's what we deal with here. And here I am talking about weather. Is this like a 90 year olds podcast? <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, the guest this week is Mr. Jesse Leach. He is the vocalist from a band called Kill Switch Engage, who is arguably one of the largest bands in the context of metal. Uh, the reason I laugh is because I just always, uh, I always find it so awesome that I could have these people on the show and that they enjoy the experience. Basically, I was able to meet up with Jesse when he was on tour. Uh, they played Pomona, and uh, basically we hung out in the back of his bus for like an hour, and it was great because... I've always loved Killswitch Engage. I've always found their music to be inspiring, insightful, and more in particular, Jesse's lyrics and just the way that uh, he carries himself. Anyways, I'm, I'm a total fanboy for him, so I was excited to speak to him. But more on him in a few mo moments. Let's uh, get to some other observations and musings for this particular week. Um, well, first of all, I need help. You out there that are interested in audio in some capacity. Basically, I'm trying to make sure my show is sounding as good as possible. I have realized recently that, uh, you know, I obviously have a lot of shortcomings in regards to audio, and um, I just want to make sure it's sounding good. I know how to edit. I know how to put everything together. It sounds okay, but then I just want to make sure it's all kind of smoothed out. So if you are an audio person and you want to help me a little bit by basically just making sure that all the levels are appropriate and I'm doing everything I need to, uh, email me, 100 words podcast at gmail.com just uh, just a little help that's all i'm looking for so please do that and um i got to go to sound and fury this past weekend and for those of you that aren't aware of what that is it's a hardcore music festival here in southern california and it was so much fun uh partially just because i didn't have the stress of putting on a festival because uh myself and my good friend joey we put that on for three years and it was fun ish <laughs> but also really, really stressful. Like, I, I feel like I shaved a few years off of my life uh, with all the stress that I, I put myself through and my body through and my family through <laughs> because I, was, I felt like I was just a, a shell of a human being. But I was able to attend. It was amazing, um, uh, especially there's two sets in particular I want to highlight. Free, which is members, uh, essentially it's half heart, <laughs> minus one member, but uh, just a really, really fun show. Uh, you know, doing hardcore that isn't unlike uh, Inside Out, sort of 90s-ish stuff, but just really, really good. And then Ceremony. Holy shit, I love Ceremony. I Especially when they play fests. Like, I, I don't actually, I'm trying to think if I've seen them at a club. I think I've seen them at one club show, but at a fest is where they just come alive. And kids lose their minds, and it's it just pandemonium. And they played, and that was exactly the case, and I just had so much fun. So, Thank you, Sound and Fury. Thank you, Martine and Sean Riley for putting it on and everybody else that contributed to it because I know it takes a lot of hard work to pull stuff like this off, and they did it with great success. So there you go. So here, Jesse Leach. 
like I said, I've always really admired him as a vocalist, not because not only because he had great lyrics and he can scream and sing, but I just uh, I, I knew that this dude had a lot of inroads into punk and hardcore. Like he wasn't just your typical sort of a uh, metalhead, you know, not maligning metalheads, but um, you know, you could tell that he had a lot more going than uh, just uh, like I said, what a metal dude that fronts a band is like. And uh, I, I've always found the introspection that he has towards his lyrics to be like, hey, this is good. You're talking about, you know, feelings as opposed to uh, whatever other metal bands obviously sing about that are, uh, you know, on the fantasy side, singing about dragons or uh, singing about depressing stuff. But anyways, Jesse was so kind to meet up with me outside of one of his shows, and it was just a great chat. So here is my discussion with Jesse Leach, and I will talk to you after the episode. Sort of my own personal uh, entry points, kind of you know, you and your music and all that sort of stuff. Um, I remember. Dude, so this was match rules. Oh, I mean, I'm broken. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that that record is <coughs> a turning point for me in my life. Really? Yeah, lyrically, that's a cut above the rest with hardcore. I think. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I I'm glad you mentioned that because I definitely think that for whatever weird reason, like Un Unbroken obviously meant a lot to a lot of people across yeah. the country, but for some reason, the East Coast, it didn't seem to, uh, they, they weren't remembered as fondly, like dur especially during that time. That's overshadowed like, by the, the New York hardcore and the Boston hardcore beef and all that other nonsense that right. was going on. No, it's true. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm very glad that you have an affinity for Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, Unbroken is, I mean, well, it's some of my favorite hardcore comes from Cali. Inside Out might be one of my favorites. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah just just and down the road in Orange County. You can't touch that. You can't touch Inside Out. That six-song EP is flawless. It's, it's your burning fight, as you would say. Yeah, but me, it's lyrics, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where, I mean, sonically it's great, but lyrically, like, Unbroken, uh -huh. Inside Out, Burn on the East Coast. Of course. Bad Brains. Course. Those are like the top four off the top of my head. That's that's great. That era of hardcore. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you with the, the lyrical content. I mean, that was the first time where I personally identified with the fact like, oh, you can sing beyond just like, you know, the yeah. traditional hardcore yeah. realms of... You crossed my path. Right. You, you, <laughs> you failed me. Betrayal. You, you stabbed me in the back. Never again, bro. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but the... Um, <laughs> Keep your distance. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you, my my pack will get you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the um, I remember, s so I was, I think I was a freshman in college. It was like 99, 2000, right when you guys released your first demo. Yep. And it was one of those things, I don't know what, well, actually, no, I do know what attracted me to you guys so much in the first place, especially, I mean, because I, 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 ma I literally mail-ordered the demo and the shirt. Uh -huh. So I still yeah, have the... Back in the day. Oh, <laughs> And I, I just remember because I think you guys just had uh, you had two MP3s up on like MP3.com or something like that. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Know. I just remember I, I remember hearing it and being <laughs> like, "Okay, this is great." It's obviously a, a nod to everything that was was popular at the time, but it also had more. It had more to it mm. as far as, like like you said lyrically. Like that was something where it was like, "Oh, like you're singing about feelings," as yeah. opposed to the uh, the traditional stuff that metal obviously. Yeah. Wrote in. Yeah. I presume that was very intentional on your part. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Did, like, you, so you basically, once you started to pen lyrics specifically for Kill Switch and, like, in the early years, and obviously you still do, um, was that just basically like, 
no matter what, I have to be true to that sort of concept of myself. Yeah, especially when I first started, my I definitely had an agenda. You know, I was looking at bands like you know again Bad Brains and saying to myself, with this new genre we were, we were created with all of our peers at the time, you know whether it's Overcast, Bloodlet, Dead Guy, those hybrid bands that were adding more metallic sounds to the hardcore sound. I thought what would set us apart was for me to harken back to the whole PMA and youth crew and like positive youth thing that I, I that was my first gateway in. Like Minor Threat was the first band to really turn me on its ear and say, oh, he's saying something. He's pissed off, but it's for like a, a righteous reason. Right. It wasn't murderous. It wasn't, you know, dark. It wasn't, you know, cheesy. It was like just this visceral, raw emotion. And I wanted to capture that. That and, honestly, the DC scene, a lot of the Discord bands, um, the proto-email stuff. I'm still a huge fan of bands like Jawbox and Hoover and intelligent lyrics. So for me, it was like, we're going to be that band. We're going to set ourselves aside because I'm going to write stuff that's going to make people think about something much greater than just what's going on in the scene. Right. Well, I, I really, it's funny. I would never would have personally, I, I got the whole, you know, obviously, like you said, the the... the positive lyrics and like I got that but I never would have made the connection like you said with the sort of DC stuff but it totally makes sense because yeah they were th the thinking man's hardcore you know and mm -hmm. not afraid to show emotion and you didn't have to be a tough guy you could wear high water dickies and have greasy hair and look like a dork and it was like that really appealed to me because as much as I loved hardcore and like the you know the the toughness of it and the posturing of it, which is fun when you're younger. Right. The older I got, the more I was like, I'm I'm paying a lot more attention to bands like Fugazi and and um, Embrace and Hoover, and they sonically started doing a whole other thing, and that's why I brought melody in to Kill Switch because I wanted to ape that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's also important. I presume that you just based by the fact that you exhibit a lot of like we were saying before we were recording like a lot of your influences that you wear in your sleeve and it's very varied you know it's like one day you're wearing a public enemy t-shirt and the next day you're wearing an asset shirt yeah did was all of that like was music a very fertile ground for you where you felt like i could experiment with everything yeah. or did you feel like you you know as i mean when you're younger you obviously stay in one lane or did you i didn't you know i okay. was a mutt and i couldn't help it i had like four different types of friends growing up. I mean, once I got into hardcore, hardcore stuck. But prior to that, I you, know, you mentioned Public Enemy. That was my f the first group that I latched onto. That wasn't, you know, they had a few songs that made it out. Like Nine One One's a joke, but they were the first group that I embraced and was my own and was underground. You know, going back and really sinking my teeth into that, and that led to like KRS One. So I was really into hip hop before hardcore, but as you know, in the 90s, hardcore and hip-hop were pretty close lyrically, culturally, you know, music that was written f f by us, for us. Mm -hmm. So the whole crossover kind of happened with Anthrax and Public Enemy doing their song together. Of course. Then from Anthrax, I got into Thrash, and then Thrash led me to a friend of mine playing me, Minor Threat, and it was like, game over. Minor Threat's the one, and still one of my favorite bands of all time. Sure, and you're like, this is it. You strip all the fancy away, you know, all the super technique, really. I mean, mm -hmm. even though Minor Threat, if you really listen, there's a lot of talent there. But Absolutely. Just the set, the way it hit my ears was like, get right to the point. Right. No, no soloing, just fast, pissed off, and the message is in your face, and a minute and a half, two minutes, it's done. Right, that's all I need. And I just, 
to this day, I'm smitten by that style. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you you bought it. You're all in. Yeah. Someday I, I want to do a band like that when I'm an old uh, grumpy, which is getting close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun on the side, you know? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the uh, you definitely, once you hit a certain age, you're like, you you do remember the, the stuff that you first got into, or maybe not even first got into, but the stuff that obviously Changed you said. Changed everything. Right. And then you're like, I want to do something that mimics that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Unabashedly. Right, yeah, just totally like... Someday <laughs> I will. This is exactly just what I'm doing. infest covers. I don't give a crap. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, you have the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, and so you, you were born and raised in Providence, right? Not born, but... And I moved around a lot, but to keep it, you know, long story short, <laughs> um, from like junior high on was Providence. Okay. Well, Cranston, Providence, Rhode Island. What, how come you moved around so much as a kid? My dad, um, just trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life, searching for God. He was a ex-hippie, ex-biker that found God in the 70s and wanted to like pursue a life of spiritual fulfillment. So it took us to moving around and starting churches. I was a little pastor's kid most of my life. Right. Um, which is great and bad. You know, it was good and bad, but I think the good is... I'm used to traveling and used to making new friends and used to seeing new sights. So once I was back on the road again, especially this time around, it really made me think back to my childhood and moving around a lot. Sure. Kind of makes sense that I'm, I love touring now. Right. That you, yeah, you have a fondness for it as opposed yeah, to like just the... pick up and go on. I, I actually love saying goodbye to people sometimes. And, and like as soon as the bus starts up, I, the, I get a feeling in my heart. I'm like, oh, this is great. We're moving. Right, <laughs> you're like, and maybe that's because of, of where I came from. I don't know. Sure, sure. And so, we're, uh, I presume your was your mom in the picture? Was she traveling oh, yeah. with you as well? So yeah, dedicated uh, woman who was a nurse, a very, very caring, almost like to the point of like ridiculous how how much she cares for people. <laughs> right. And I think that wore off on me, and I think that reflects in my lyrics as well. She's just like this compassionate woman, hard on, hard on her sleeve. Yeah, I mean, and they always like brought in like. Homeless people, drug addicts, ex-cons. We always lived with somebody, or Thanksgiving, we'd have all these strangers over the house. I grew up just around all kinds of people. Right. Because they wanted to save everybody. And, so. I, pr- and I presume from a very, uh, because of that, it was from a non-judgmental place as well. Where it's yeah. like you were just in meeting these people because they needed help. Yep. That's and amazing. Then, and then, f- you know, I think that affects my lyrics as well. Sure. Know? The compassion for humanity, I can't help it. It's ingrained in me. Right, right. Um, and so then as you, whatever, as you started to plant stakes in, <laughs> in the, in the Rhode Island area, um, did you find that like, well, I'm sorry, what was your, your family structure as far as like brothers and sisters or were you the only child? At the time, um, getting into hardcore when I was in high school, it was just my brother and I. Okay. And my sister came on a little later. Okay. So she's the, the surprise of the. <laughs> the, the, <coughs> gi- the gift? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a cool dynamic. Sure. sure. Um, and did you, uh, like, would you define those years as, as, I guess, I mean, you enjoyed it, but, like, was it tumultuous at all? Was it, like, did you feel like, oh, this is weird, none of my other friends are, or are experiencing this sort of well, um, yeah, transient I mean, lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, and also, you, you know, what I failed to mention was we lived a very protected, sheltered life. The running joke with my family is Aaron and I were, like, the Flanders kids from The Simpsons. Just sheltered, we went to a Christian school, right. couldn't listen to anything that was secular, it had to be Christian, Christian, Christian. So when we finally got into public school, for him and I, it was just like well, all the things that we weren't able to have access to, right. we jumped in hook, line, and sinker. My brother just got super into girls, became like the jockey popular guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I you know, couldn't really figure myself out. I tried to be a popular kid and just realized that it wasn't who I was. And 
I met this kid who was wearing a fishbone T-shirt in math class in eighth grade, and he put headphones on me and let me listen to Truth and Soul. And I was like, this is, what is this? Like, I didn't right. grasp, like, what it was. Slowly but surely, I found my own clique and became one of the freaks, one of the, the outcasts. I found my tribe. There was, like, maybe six of us. And, and yeah, it was a crash course in, like, the, the world, the worldliness. Sure. So, you know, going sh- from being, like, you know, a sheltered kid, fast forward into my late teens being, you know, loving drugs and loving extreme music and playing shows up and down the East Coast by the time I was 17 years old. Right. Because, uh, I presume because of that, were your parents uh, set off by that as far as like, uh-oh, Jesse's gone off the deep end. This is tough. <coughs> um, it's, it's give and take. I think it's funny, man, when I look back on it, <laughs> they would read my lyrics and my dad would, you know, you don't have to swear. You don't have to curse. Because when I first started, I was like all about it. You of know, course. Like hardcore, you know. The <laughs> it's just like trying to, I looked at a band like Judge. I'm like, I want to be like Judge. Badass. Um, so I think at first they were a little concerned, but then my mom would go to sh- my shows uh-huh. and she'd see what I was trying to do. And uh, she was the first one to sort of take me aside and be like, you got to be who you are. I embrace that. And my dad was always like, this is fine for now, but uh, you got to go to college. you got to get an education. You can't. This is not going to make you any money at all. Right. Keep and your eye on the and future. He's, and he's pretty much right with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. But, you know, now my dad wears my sweatshirts. He's a professor. He's retired from the ministry. Mm-hmm. And he's a professor, and he's all about wearing my sh- sweatshirts. And, hey, my son is this, and my son is that. We'll go out to eat <clears throat> in between, you know, tours. And at some point, he's got to tell somebody who his son is. And I'm like, Dad, come on. <laughs> So hey, hey, server, yeah. do you know this? Yeah. My son sings for Kill Switch. Co- you got a tattoo. Do you listen to metal? It's like, ah, oh, Dad, not everyone that has a tattoo listens to metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially especially in this day and yeah. age where they're like, uh, no, I'm, no, I'm not familiar with yeah. metal. <laughs> so, you know, at first it was tough, but I think when they realized that it was do or die for me, they just had my back. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think a lot of that has to do, too, with the fact that uh, as a parent, you just want to see your kids, like, not only be themselves, but, like, get into something, care yeah. about something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so they felt like, okay, Jesse really means this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I proved it to him by just not stopping. Yeah. No matter what. Sure. Even if I was broke. Right. <laughs> playing in squats, sleeping on people's floors, which I did for many years. You of know? course. It's like, this is what I want to do. I don't care. Right. This, this, w- yeah, the regardless of whether or not this brings me any any financial security it doesn't matter because i need to get this out of myself that's it right and i still feel that way sure the um and so then as you started to obviously like you said find your tribe develop your identity um you uh, did you feel like completely at home within that or were you still kind of searching within the context of like i guess the scene to find what that actually meant to you yeah i think it was a lot of searching because as you know like there were all these clicks and all these genres and subgenres that were happening, and people were trying to throw labels on certain types of music. And I remember being in my band Corinne, and people didn't know what to call us, so that term deathcore started kicking around because we had death metal influences. Right. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want you to label me. I'm so tired of labels. Like I went from being a straight edge kid to discovering, you know, uh, marijuana and expanding my mind and getting to bands like Neurosis and starting to take acid and like <laughs> getting on this whole other like music that if you were a straight edge kid you were pretty much confined to these types of bands you didn't really go outside of that circle right and growing up in providence we had a thriving grindcore crust punk you know d-beat scene seeing bands like drop dead and and uh, bands like man is the bastard and grief and i was like i want to 
being that too. Like I don't want to just be a straight edge kid. I, I want to. You want to be a varsity do, jacket. Guy, I want. Right? Yeah, yeah, I want to do whatever the hell I want to do. So right. it was constantly searching, and I think up until even into my late twenties, I was still searching because I fell in love with reggae music. I fell in love with ska, mm-hmm. the old school skinhead spirit of '69 culture. You know. It's all a part of who I am. So I stopped the label thing. I was like, I'm not straight edge. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, I'm a hardcore kid at the roots of it, but I embrace all kinds of music, all kinds of culture. That's who I am now. Right. But I think it took me a while to figure that out. So yeah. I definitely went through a little bit of phases. Sure. Even with the way I looked, you know. Well, I mean, I think that's in. Uh, I like the way that you describe that because it's definitely, uh, as a kid, you're obviously you have to compartmentalize because you don't, you, like, if you're, you know, 15 years old and you listen to Times of Grace for the first time, you're probably not going to understand it because you're like, hey, I'm listening to No Effects or, like, you, yeah, don't, you, don't, yeah. have, you don't have the uh, musical capabilities to understand it. But then a- as you do expand your musical palette, that's when you're able to be like, oh, it, these don't need to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. I can like Lagwagon right. and I can like Neurosis or whatever, you yeah. know, the, the juxtaposition. I think Neurosis is one of those bands that really changed everything for me. I couldn't put my finger on what exactly, like where where did they come from? Right. What are their influences? And then when I started looking up their influences, one of their influences was a group called Crash Worship uh-huh. from San Diego, and they're like pagan, goth. I, I you know it's great. I can't really find the word for it. Right. And I remember just saying to myself like I want to be more like that. So I had some bands in between before Killswitch that were a little more out there. That you know we had a band called Needles that opened up for Converge, and we kind of played a few shows. Murder City Devils one night, one night. Oh, nice. But it was like, I, I had a little pedal board with effects, and I was putting my voice through distortion, <laughs> and, you know, we did the whole, like, rockabilly-looking thing with uh-huh. the old-school microphone, just constantly evolving, and, like, don't, you can't put a definition on what I'm doing. Right. I was proud of that. <laughs> right, yeah, you're like... And I think because of that, that's where the sound of Killswitch came from, for me, and then finding Adam, who understood that, because he was amongst the same scene. Mm-hmm. Mike D as well with Overcast. Mike D's influences came from Corrosion and Conformity, Buzz Ovin, more the stoner kind of southern. Yeah, Doom stuff Yeah, Doomy, and I was unfamiliar with that, so he turned me on to that. So all of us just kind of, and Joel's 80s metal, he loves that stuff. Right. So it's cool because we all had our own language, and I think that's why Killswitch became what it is today. Well, and I think what's so important about that context, too, is that it all comes, it stems from the sort of DIY mentality. Absolutely, and it's still a huge part of this band. Yeah. You know, Adam does all the production, Mike D does all the artwork, and right. we're at the point now where we call the shots, you know? Like Absolutely. If we want something done, we'll figure out a way to do it. You know, we do get a little bit of back and forth with the record label, but on the whole, it's like we're proud of our, our DIY roots. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it, it provides that sort of ground level where you can all build off of. Yeah, As and we realize we don't need anyone. So when they give us attitude or anyone comes to us and says, you should do that, we're like, we don't. We're fine without you. Right. <laughs> so no, no, we don't. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to tell you and interrupt this conversation about one of our amazing sponsors, SeatGeek. So those of you that look for tickets and hate the experience, this is the app for you. So first of all, pop open your phone. Go to the App Store, download SeatGeek, and then you will be able to see the amazingness of this app. It shows you amazing tickets for sale. They don't upsell anything in the sense of like, oh my gosh, like I want to buy this ticket, and here's like $70 of charges and service fees. The price is up front, and they tell you exactly what you're paying for. Plus, you can see the view from your seat at any 
concert. It's amazing. So, like, if you want to go see Drake, if you want to go see Rihanna, any of the cool things that are happening this summer, there's a bunch of other stuff, like at the drive-in. Go check him out. I want you to use this app, and there is a reason why, because I will give you $20, well, not me, but SeatGeek will, $20 off. So download the app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code words, W-O-R-D-S, and you will get $20 off. They'll send you 20 bucks, PayPal, cash. It's not cash, check. Yeah, that's that's more reasonable. <laughs> so they'll send that to you. So please, download the SeatGeek app, look for the whatever amazing tickets you're looking to procure for yourself and maybe a loved one, and you will be able to enter the promo code WORDS in the add a promo code on the settings tab. So don't forget, WORDS, $20 in your pocket, SeatGeek, download it now. Do it up. Was Corinne your first kind of like, I guess for lack of a better term, like touring band? Yeah, like, it was the first band that I played in the, an actual nightclub instead of someone's basement. Right. VFW squad or whatever. Um, yeah, we actually had a club gig at a place called Club Babyhead in Providence, which was like our CBGBs. And we all, everyone that's from Providence still talks very fondly about that club. Mm-hmm. I grew up there. The, the door girl who was a skinhead girl was our, the manager of my band. I was 16 at the time. My other band members were in their 20s. So I was the little kid. I was the Harley Flanagan of the Providence scene. <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah, th- I mean, getting that official gig and, like, getting paid. We got paid, I think, $150. Oh, that's huge. And then we split it, and it was like, whoa. Wait a minute. Yeah, I, I could go buy weed. This is crazy. <laughs> right. Um, so it started there, and, yeah, then we started getting offers to play festivals down in Virginia, you know, and we started traveling, and it was like, oh, this is. I had to get permission to like leave, you know, state lines from school because I was still a kid. Right. And I was hooked. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And did you uh, did you have any, uh, I guess, scholarly ambitions? I mean, I know, like you said, you obviously weren't focused on the <laughs> idea of college or anything. But did you have like, did you care about school at all, or were you just no, not really? Out? I mean, I tried. I went to the junior college and took up philosophy. And it was like, oh, maybe I could become a writer. And right. I was there for two weeks, and I got a D on one of my papers, and like. How dare you grade my philosophy assignment with a D? Right. And I, I dropped out, and that was it. Right. I haven't looked back since. I don't, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't like school. Sure. Um, and so, like you said, once you got your, your sort of taste of touring life, um, was it you? I presume you just immediately enjoyed the experience of touring. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then the, uh, like, once the, obviously once, like you said, the, the business starts to kind of seep into the band where it's like you need to take it quote unquote seriously where it's like oh a record label wants to put out a record and that sort of stuff yeah did you was that something that you ever uh, I guess cared about or no, did to okay. a flaw to okay. a flaw uh, to the point where I, I didn't make money and other people were making money and okay. I just didn't didn't even think about it didn't even care right um, you know I'd always worked a regular job so for me a band was something I did on the weekends. Uh-huh. We would tour, but it would be like when I could get vacation from my pizza job or whatever I was doing at the time. Right. Uh, and not until uh, Killswitch was a, the first band to like plan a two-week tour, look at a budget, talk about it. And, you know, to me, I think initially that was overwhelming. Right. You know, <laughs> trying to like be mindful of the business side of it, where the passion was all I had. So right. everything else just like kind of got in the way. Sure. And did that? Uh, I presume that scared you in some capacities. Yeah. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. Did you? How did you 
try to react to that? Was it I, just like I just repealed and like uh, okay. became very antisocial. I was the kind of guy where you know we would play a show, I would show up, we would play the set, and I would go either in the van or mm-hmm. just disappear, right. not talk to people, not be a part of the community, not really care about T-shirt sales or ticket sales, or just kind of retreat into my own little world. And I think that progressively got worse and worse. And eventually spiraled me into a dark place where I started to hate the road. Right, and the uh, because it it is interesting too because obviously the most people look to the singer as being the one who is like out there and like you know <coughs> pre- pressing the flesh and saying right. hi to people and you know being the person that's you know maybe after you're done playing you go back and sell the merch or whatever. Um, and so for you, th- that basically that I wouldn't say didn't come naturally to you, but you always were like. All right, I'm pretty raw after this. I got to decompress. Yeah, and I think I was just antisocial. I had anxiety. I didn't have the language for it, but I had social anxiety. Right. I still do, but now I've learned how to manage it. I know what it is. I know how, you know, the trigger points. I do a lot of breathing. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I do that levels me out. Right. When I was a kid, I didn't. You didn't have any coping mechanisms. I didn't know that. I didn't have the language for it. Right. So, depression and anxiety runs through my family, and I had it. Have it. Right. But I didn't know how to deal with it so i did the only thing i knew how to do was just escape yeah just and, yeah not and not deal right right people. that's a i mean it's very i mean obviously it's you've you've spoken about it publicly in so many different places the thing that i find um the the, the most interesting in the way that you've expressed it is the fact that a lot of people obviously view what bands do as like you know entertainment and like obviously that is a huge component of this yeah. but then when you yourself are putting so much of you, what you are up there, mm. and the concept of how people like you know immediately like whatever five minutes after you're playing, people want to come to you. Oh Jesse, hey man, and you're just like, I just like I just poured everything out there. Can yeah, you, like, I have you're that. Na- you're nailing it right on the head, man. It's something I've had to work on because when did you first? I guess when did you f- kind of first recognize that 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 you were so comfortable being so uh, vulnerable up there? I think on stage it's it's a separate thing, you know. Like I've always kind of just put it all out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't not do do that <laughs> for some reason. Like as soon as I walk on the, the over the threshold, the stairs, and I hit the stage, it's like up the switch flips. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times shows are kind of a blur because of that. But when I come back off, I think I realized how I was. Maybe just even returning with Killswitch in the past like four or five years mm-hmm. is realizing that fans are so intense and like would wait for us outside of the club and wait for us around the bus and I'd open the door and my heart would start pounding like I gotta face these people it's like oh man what do I do right so I've developed a, a really cool method for me it's like I prepare myself ahead of time that way if there is any people out there I'm ready for it and if there isn't it's almost like all right, I'm I'll cool. go about the day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I keep a marker on me, and a lot of times I'll go, I'm like, hey, I'll be out in like two minutes, guys. Thank you so much. Like, yeah. Make sure that I give back to them because they care so much about what we do. And that's a blessing. You can't take that for granted. Absolutely. The moment you do, you're a jaded douchebag rock star, and I never want to be that. So, yeah. <laughs> I, ha- I have to give back to the fans because they give so much. So the anxiety has taken a back seat, and I've, I've learned how to. It's not about me when I get off stage, at least for that time frame when they're around us and want that feedback or want to tell me what this song means to them. It's not about me. It's about them. Right. Yeah. It's about like you you are merely kind of their vessel at that point. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, 
And so then, uh, nothing gold can stay came after Corinne, correct? Nothing stays gold. Nothing, sorry. Nothing it's stays the, gold. It's like the poem, uh, what the hell is that guy's name? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help. Yeah, you. that was a that was a little uh, a little blurp in my life, and that was a sad attempt at uh, blending like emo and uh, hardcore and whatever the hell we were doing. Right, right. It's uh, I listen back to that, and it's it's hard to listen to my voice. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Ah. I mean, it, it's one of those things too, where I, I'm sure the I mean, most people look back at their wha- if they're putting something creative out there, um, you're gonna have things that you look back and be like, yo, that like I'm pretty proud of that, and like. Ooh no, that song was a miss, or like yeah. that EP, or whatever. I think it was, you know, a good effort, sure, for what we were trying to do because it predated a lot of bands that did that later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty bad. Right, <laughs> it's pretty bad. But uh, that no. that led me um, to collaborating with Adam because his brother, Adam's brother, owned Devil Heads Records, which is the little label that put out "Nothing Stays Gold." Right. And when he found out that I was uh, calling it quits with that band. Uh, he reached out to me. We were supposed to like collaborate on some comp or whatever. We we're gonna do like a Slayer song, like a psychedelic version of a Slayer song okay. for fun for his brother's label. Of course, the Split <coughs> Seven Inch series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. Aftershock and Statecraft. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> so exactly, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of what's put my name in his brain. Ah, okay. And then he's like, "Well, you know, this thing's not gonna work out. I don't think Toby is gonna put this out." Mm-hmm. But I do have a side project with with Aftershock with Mike D from Overcast, and I was like, dude, sign me up. Right. I would love to come jam with you guys. Massive Overcast fan. So. At that time, were you still in the Providence area? Yeah, yeah, I was living in Providence. Oh, yeah, right okay. there, Providence College. Yep. Um, and did you? Because uh, Providence, I, I find Providence so interesting because, like, like we were talking about before, um, you know, whatever the power violence scene, and like, there were so many interesting things for such a small state, like mm-hmm. culturally speaking. Providence was pretty, you know, active. Yeah, it's Rhode Island School of Design people that either while they were going there or stayed up after created a whole community. I mean, the whole Onlyville community, which was a lot of the, you know, patch punk, crust punk, art, rock kind of stuff, uh-huh. basically all came out of the art school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had bands like Lightning Bolt and Drop Dead that were staples when I was young and are still going to this day. Totally. That created their own atmosphere, created their own style, created their own energy, their own everything and these guys had a a warehouse space called fort thunder and they would have bands from all over the world come through and play so you could see a hardcore band from japan or you know a power violence band from from belgium right and it's all there and and there's no promoter there's no middleman it's just diy to the fullest right so that was a huge influence on all of us you know seeing that stuff happen sure just wanted to be a part of that Right, and you and you and like you were a part of that community. Like you were going to shows, and you were <coughs> on really a regular, probably three or four shows a week while I was still in high school. Right. Okay. <coughs> um, but I went to everything. I went to the goth nights. I went to the <laughs> punk skin nights. I went to the you know the hardcore nights. I went to the rockabilly nights. I loved everything. I just couldn't get enough. Of sure. It. So yeah, there was. And in a, in a sense, that was my college. That was my music school. Was experiencing that. On a on a regular basis. Sure. You, yeah. You were understanding multiple genres of music yeah. and like what those things meant in the context of whatever it is you and were seeing how those people act, seeing how they dressed. Sure. You know, seeing what band T-shirts those guys wore, <laughs> and right. looking up their influences, which is how I got into bands like Mitzareb and Ministry and the Meat Men and Sheer Terror. Right. I just remember seeing these T-shirts and like, oh, that's a cool shirt, and like. 
Got to remember that. Got to look that up at the yep. record store. Yeah, or talk to the, the guy. There's a, a record store called Fast Forward Records, and it was this crazy, dreadlocked, hippie guy that just <laughs> knew everything. And if he didn't, he had catalogs you could thumb through on the top. So a very distribution that became really familiar with for hardcore. Of course. And uh, just being able to go to the guy and be like, hey, I like this. Can you give me similar? And he'd walk over to the seven-inch section. Oh, you might like, you know, this or Chemical Brothers or, like, I started getting to electronical stuff and, like, just I couldn't consume enough music. Right. Just everything. I really love that that notion of the sort of music guru because, like, they're always – I mean, that obviously why – independent record stores were so important because it's like you had this person who didn't had to know everything about everything and they could guide you down certain they paths. were your internet so <laughs> basically right that's that's actually true i never thought about them yeah. as that I, I i definitely always viewed them as like the trail guy where yeah. they were like all right well here here you can see the japanese doom yeah and then here you can <laughs> see this and you're just like oh wow i don't know if i can go down that path yet but yeah. i'll go down that one yeah here's your here's your step in the right direction right yeah, I remember going to him and saying that I, I was really into this band. Um, well, sick of it all did a cover of Betray, and I remember talking to the guy, but I was like, sick of it all, sick of it all, sick of it all. Right. And he's like, well, you know, sick of it all, agnostic front, all that, they're kind of derivative of like a skin scene. And at the time, you know, with my brain, I didn't realize that skinhead was actually a cultural thing from England in the 60s, you know, late 60s, right. that wasn't racist, that was like... right a reggae ska thing. So from that, I got into Oi because of a record store owner. He's like, check out this label, Helen of Oi. And, you know, and I got into the band like the Bruisers uh, from New Hampshire, which is now um, the singer for um, Dropkick Murphys. Yep. Uh, and then like that whole thing slowly led me into ska. It's all because this one guy was like, hey, if you dig this stuff, check out this. Sure. You know, and that changed my whole, then I started getting huge into reggae and ska and Right, yeah, yeah. Just expanded your palate even yeah. further. Hey, do you like to eat? Yeah, I thought so. Well, guess what? I have something that is going to blow your mind. So Blue Apron, you might have heard of the service, but basically what they do is they let you cook your own meals. And I know that sounds like, oh, dude, what, I got to go to the grocery store? I got to follow this huge list of ingredients and I got to spend like a million dollars to make this thing? No, not at all. Basically, what they do is they ship you an amazing box full of fresh food from farms and artisanal suppliers, people that know their stuff. And everything from the meat eater inside of you to the vegan or vegetarian inside of you. They offer all of those options, and it's absolutely incredible. So for less than $10 a meal, they deliver it to your house. You don't have to sit there and figure out all of these steps. It's, it comes with a card. It walks you through this. And in 40 minutes or less, you're going to get an amazing meal out of this. So here, let me just run through some of the options that they have in June. Spicy Korean rice cakes with snow peas and pea shoots. I had that. It's unbelievable. Now, granted, I don't eat meat, but this stuff sounds pretty appetizing for those of you that do. So sweet chili ponzu catfish and green beans with coconut ginger rice. New England style salmon rolls with roasted potatoes and chives. Like seriously, this is restaurant quality stuff that you're getting shipped directly to you. So check out this week's menu and get your two meals for free with free shipping. I'm giving you food. There's no reason you shouldn't do this. But go to blueapron.com slash words. So blueapron.com slash words. You'll love how good it feels, it tastes, and to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Blueapron.com slash words. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. Um, 
you mentioned earlier, like you obviously you were uh, you, you said you were straight edge for a time, and then obviously you started to experiment with drugs. Um, d- did you ever felt like it? Uh, obviously, the notion is like when people quote unquote sell out. I use that in, yeah. in air quotes. That uh, you know. I personally, I mean, I'm still straight edge, but like, y- I'm sure you see. Which is awesome. Ma- thank you. <laughs> you see, many people take that the complete opposite direction, as far as like, oh wow, in like two weeks, like they're hitting heroin. <laughs> Not saying that that was your experience, but like, did you? Uh, it I, wasn't, but I had friends that were exactly like that. Yeah. Exactly like that. Became d- drug dealers. Right. From being straight edge. Totally. Yeah. And like, in l- honestly, in like less than two months. Yeah. Um. So do y- you kind of felt yourself kind of easing. Y- you were more. From what it sounds like, you were more interested in the experience. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, you know, case in point, I remember going to see um, this band Bloodlet. They opened up for, um, I think it was Dead Guy. I'm not sure. Okay. And I saw those guys smoking weed outside. And I was like, dude, I'm going to smoke weed too. So <laughs> I, went, I went into my car and I smoked weed. And then I watched their set. And it was like, this is like stoner hardcore. Right. Because they had that slow, doomy... Totally. Sort of thing, but they were still dressed like our community, you know, the baggy jeans and the, you know, the bandanas. Like, it was, <laughs> it was still derivative of straight-edge hardcore. Absolutely. Stylistically, but they crossed over into another world. <coughs> and that led me into bands like Integrity and bands that w- didn't have to be straight-edge. Yep. Or, you know, because it was a big faux pas when you were younger, if you break edge, your community potentially will shun you. Of course. And I remember when I did it, I remember there were some people that were like, oh, suck and I'd go to straight edge shows like Earth Crisis or whatever and people like sell out whatever and I'm like you know what so what then as we grew up, grew older it didn't matter anymore as long as, you, as long as you weren't a dick you know like it's fine but yeah th- there were those people who you know became drug dealers and got into not just weed but cocaine at the time ecstasy right as the rave scene the was rave creeping scene is in. huge right yeah right. it was creeping in and then um, some of my friends became coke dealers and at that point it was like I didn't want to associate with them anymore. They became very violent and like from violent straight edge <laughs> extremist kids to violent drug dealer kids. Right. But it's like it's the personality though. We're all, you know, you get into hardcore usually because you're searching for something or mm-hmm. you're running from something. Right. So a lot of broken kids, you know, and when you had something to latch onto like straight edge, that was like everything. Of course. And then, you know, when somebody's like, hey, check this out, you don't just do it casually, you go all in. Of course. So the kids who preached loudest, straight edge, became the biggest drug dealers. <laughs> <in the laughs> yeah, yeah. They preached the loudest so on the other ironic. side. So ironic. It totally is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then the, uh, as you started to obviously see, like, you know, once, because from my impression, um, once Killswitch started to obviously get out there, um, you know, because y- you guys signed to Ferret relatively shortly after your demo was released. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seemed to me, because I, I remember watching you guys, uh, I was at what, Hellfest 99, and I think that was probably, you know, I mean, you guys have maybe played a handful of shows before yeah. that. Yep. And I just remember the uh, kind of anticipation for your guys' set was, was pretty palpable in ways that I was like, yo, this is like, this is crazy, because like, at that time, there were very few bands of our genre that, you know, whatever, you had your hate breed who was like, oh, they, you know, they're huge. And yeah. then, like, you felt Poison the Well obviously started to take off right around, you know, opposite of December and everything. But it was like, you guys, I felt like, it was like, wow, like, they have a demo and people are already on their, their you know, collective yeah. business. <coughs> so did We were like, kind of a super group of sorts of the underground. It's of funny. course. I mean, yeah, the, the pedigree definitely uh, led to more people being interested in you guys. But I don't think that registered with us at all. I think we were just having fun. That's what I was going to say. I was like, w- I was going to ask you where, 
if you know once the the serious nature of the fact that it's like oh wow like more people are paying attention and like more people are coming to our shows like was that um was that a struggle for you to kind of cope with the idea of yes. people actually caring about what you were doing absolutely okay yeah it's one of those things where it's like it didn't make sense to me people were complimenting me way too much i'm like no this doesn't make sense you're like i don't trust these people yeah i don't yeah so yeah i think that graded i mean that's a, another determining factor to my initial departure was just not being able to deal with it and then you go from being a hardcore kid <coughs> to being in a band where people start asking you for your autograph and it's like oh man that turned me off so bad. Because in hardcore, the stage was just, you know, a step up. It wasn't a separation. There wasn't the crowd barriers. There wasn't security. There wasn't, like, this attitude of I'm rock star and you're not. It's like any one of those people in the audience could jump up and do what I do in the hardcore community for the most part. Because mm -hmm. you start your own band. Like, it's power chords. It's very simple. And I still had that mindset. So when people started asking me for my, inter you know, for my autograph, and recognizing me, and I'm like out getting a slice of pizza before the show, and people are like, "Hey, there's like, Jesse!" Like, yeah. yeah, and like that, that started to really freak me out. It became paranoid. It was like, "Are they looking at me?" Right. And I think that was another, again, with the anxiety and, and all the things I didn't have a language for. Right. Yeah, I was very uncomfortable with it. Right. And there's still moments when I'm out here, when people cry or like lose their minds when they meet me, I do everything I can to sort of like quell that, like, "Hey." Thank you so much, but you got to realize, like, I'm not, I'm not what you are making me out to be. I'm a regular guy. Right. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Sometimes they like it even more. Like, oh, you're so humble. It's like, no, <laughs> no, like really, I'm just, I don't want to be that guy right now. Please. Right. So it's you're important like for me to let let people know I'm a regular person. Yeah. That's just as messed up as you are. Totally. Um, I think the thing that I also found really interesting, obviously, once people started to. Uh, pick apart your your lyrics, especially once like the first Roadrunner record came out, and everyone mm. was just like, "Oh, so Killswitch is kind of a, a hybrid Christian band." I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, initially for me lyrically, you know, I was definitely, um, what's the word, kind of like in between. I was so in love with Rastafarian right. culture, being a Bad Brains and Clash fan, and then getting into reggae, sure, and then being a son of a preacher man. I tried to co combine the two. Just positive, the positive stuff of it, you know, not the preachiness of it. Right. Um, and even using the term I and I in, uh, <laughs> in a Lavage's Breathing, which is, is kind of hysterical to me. Totally. Because uh, I would never write that in a sentence now. <laughs> right, yeah, I would and never express it that way. No, you know, but, you know, at the time I was trying to grow my dreads out. I was like, I was so into Rasta culture. So, yeah, Rasta Christian hybrid thing. Right. Uh, and it's funny because because of that, it spawned a whole bunch of bands after that that became a christian metalcore thing of course for a while totally and i remember seeing that and being like wow that they're taking it to another level where it's like praise hardcore oh yeah it's interesting yeah no <laughs> i definitely think that that because a lot obviously a lot of bands that that uh, not only came came after that where it's like they were you know i mean their agenda was simply the fact that they were uh worship bands <laughs> and they were obviously like you said praying on stage praying with the crowd or whatever yeah. um but it's like the 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 interesting thing that I always found about you guys was the fact that it's like you, you not only you, did you never definitively be like, oh, like like I'm a Christian, I'm expressing these things, and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but you were just putting yourself out there in ways that's like, hey, like you're gonna ch choose your own path. Like you said, the sort that's of yeah. the positivity you were hoping to outweigh any other deeper meanings that people were deriving. Yeah, because I think that's the it's almost the antithesis of why I even got into punk and hardcore. 
in the first place because you, you're anti this, you're anti that, you're anti this. And I was very much, you know, anti certain things, but I was like, the one thing I can bring to the table is that positivity, that love. Right. That's so important. And as I've gotten older, you know, religion to me is a, just like politics, just like anything, there's a control there that is the antithesis of, of the music that we do. And I would never point someone in a direction and say that's the way you need to go, you know. I just want to reinforce people with love and positivity and to each their own. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're musicians, we're artists, we're not politicians, we're not preachers, we're not, you know, therapists, you know. You don't have solutions. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can point you a certain direction and say this is what I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in God, I believe there's a higher power, I believe in love. But outside of that, all the dogmatics, all the little rules and all the little stipulations and, you know, human rules that they added on to what people believe God to be, I, I just can't stand here and tell you that that's what I believe. Right. Because it's, who, what do we know, man? Right, what exactly. What the hell we're, do we know? We were all taking stabs in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> that's true. Um, the And so, like you were mentioning before, where it's like the, the anxiety, you not enjoying touring, like, I mean... There's nothing more miserable than being on tour and obviously not enjoying it. Like, there, of course, there's moments where you're just like, oh, man, we're playing a crappy show in front of, like, 20 people, and I really wish I could be home or whatever. Like, those feelings kind of come and go. Yeah. But then, uh, as you were saying, the sort of dread. It was like this shadow on my shoulders. And, and because at that point, too, you're a part of a machine. And, like, not in a bad way, just in the fact that, like, yo, we have a manager, we have a booking agent. All this stuff is happening. Yep. We have our next 18 months planned. And when we quit our jobs, the pressure was mounting. And, right. You know, there was a lot of buzz behind it. And, uh, you know, did, and did I was losing my voice because I didn't know how to maintain it. So right. that was another factor on top of it. Sure. Getting on stage and not being able to do what I'm supposed to do. Right. You're like, I, I, I don't have an instrument, but I do, and I can't do it. Yeah, and, like, forcing through the injury just made it worse. Right. Did you did you have any sort of like critical mass like any any sort of anecdotal moments that you kind of remember um, that sort of put you in that place of like yo this needs to be it like I need to fucking leave like <laughs> I yeah can't. There, there was a moment we were I think we were playing in Portland okay and uh, I left a week after that and I remember just sitting in the van and we were like I can't do this anymore uh-huh. I didn't say a word to anybody either I just kind of was left it to myself and right <coughs> come Seattle just bailed didn't tell anyone I waited for everyone to leave to go in the club and check out everything and I snuck out and I like left you didn't even play the show couldn't even deal wow Could, like mentally just couldn't deal with it yeah you hit the wall yep right lost it whatever sense of uh, you know sanity and, and uh, consideration was just gone out the window right and did you were because you've been married now for how long? Almost fifteen years. Okay, and so she obviously she was watching you go through this. Yeah, but not you know not as much as she is in touch with me now because you know you got to remember back then like there wasn't anything. I didn't have a cell phone. That's true. Didn't have the internet, so I was like I'd get on a payphone at a Taco Bell <laughs> at three you know two in the afternoon and like hey I'm not doing so well. All right, we'll keep in touch, you know, and I wouldn't be able to get to talk to her for a few days, so. She got little elements of it, but we were both kids, and she was doing her own thing. Like, we got married, but I think we didn't really understand what marriage was. Sure. Especially living, we were living in, like, a commune-type place where it's, like, an artist commune. So we lived with five other people for the first, like, six, seven years of our marriage. Oh, okay. In, like, a community, so... We were married, but it, it was just like being boyfriend and girlfriend. You might as well. Right. So I don't think she had the wherewithal to realize 
what was going on. Sure. Until after the fact. Right. It's very interesting that you've always been drawn to that sort of whatever, like Rastafarianism, like the, the, the community seems the prevailing theme in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a byproduct of my parents. Right. But I wanted to seek my own tribe. I didn't want to stick with the tribe that they were telling me I had to be a part of. Right. But I knew I needed some kind of a community. Right. And I found it in hardcore. Sure. And I, I, I also find that it's something that's so funny because, like, even though we're, we're both grown-ass men, we still refer to ourselves as hardcore kids. Yeah. And I th- pride, man. I got pride in that. <laughs> and, we always, and it's funny, too, because, like, I'll refer to, like, you know, whatever other friends of mine, like, you know, oh, like, yeah, I go to the show with some kids or whatever. It's just like, oh, well, we're all over the age of 35. Like, why are we calling ourselves kids? Like, yeah. it's that it's that notion that'll never go out of us. No, it's almost like a Lord of the Flies. Like, we're just the, you know, we, we grew up on our own, you know? And that was the cool thing about that is, like, I remember being at shows that were people's houses, and, you know, a parent might be there, but you got 60 kids in a house, and it's our rules. Right. We are our own government. We are our own regulators. And I remember very young being like, that is awesome. That's we all can, I want. We can do whatever we want to do. Right. You know? And we did. <laughs> people Be- did. <laughs> right. People did. <laughs> Excuse the interruption again. I must tell you about another amazing sponsor of ours called Weebly. So Weebly is for people that have no idea how to build a website. I know all of you have experienced this where you're like, oh, I got a great idea. I got to get this out of my head, but you don't know how to do this. So Weebly is going to solve that for you. Basically, I've used the service. It's incredible. I really, really believe in what they do because basically it's super customizable. You can drag and drop photos. You can publish immediately. You can use it on multiple different platforms. You can truly customize whatever it is you want to do. So what I want to do is offer this to you. So basically, go to weebly.com slash words. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash words. And join the 30 million people that are using this service. There's no reason that you do, you need to be like messing with code and basically butchering your website. Weebly will make you look at prof- look professional and get your stuff out there to the world. So please get the idea out there. It'll be fun. So I the one of the last few things I want to focus on was the uh, once you stepped away from obviously Killswitch, yeah. um, left uh, you know very in a very high profile fashion. Not like you're saying sneaking out wasn't high profile, but the idea of like, oh, oh my gosh, like, where did Jesse go? Yep. Um, was there, uh, like, you, like, I, like I was saying, I'm sure that some of it was positive in the fact that you're like, okay, I'm glad I'm out of the situation, yeah. but then I'm sure some of that was also like, oh, well, um, so now I'm going to go back to, like, you know, whatever, like try to find a job. I and worked like three jobs back to back. It was a, t- uh, you know, yes, initially it was a sigh of relief. And uh, my wife and I went on our honeymoon because we hadn't been able to do that. I was about to say, a postponed honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> and I think halfway through that honeymoon, I remember, like, waking up in the middle of the night and looking at her sleeping and being like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Like, I've got her. She's joined me in my life thinking this is the kind of life we're going to live, and now what? Uh, so I had to go find a job, and it was desperate for me. I worked so hard. I worked three different jobs, and... Just doing whatever? Trying to make ends, yeah. I worked at an organic bakery for a while. I was chopping wood for the wood stove in the afternoon, okay. refurbishing antique windows in Providence, driving you know, a half hour down to work at f- four in the morning, coming back up to Providence, just working nonstop. Just, just to hustle. Yeah. Just to like get, I think mentally I just needed to do it. 
Um, totally disassociated with the scene. Didn't go to shows. Didn't want any part of it. Stopped paying attention to metal and hardcore. Just like tried to become a totally different person. And then, you know, during that time is when Derek Kurzweil, who used to play drums for Shadows Fall, reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'm doing a blues band." Would you be interested in, in like just playing bars and like having fun and singing blues? Right. Just something completely different. And uh, they sent me the CD of what they were doing. I'm like, cool. I think I could get into this. Right. Just something completely different that was not hardcore. You know, my name wouldn't really be attached like Jesse from Killswitch. It wasn't even. I just wanted to get away from all that. Right. And I slowly started to fall in love with music again through that band. But um, all throughout Seamless's time. I'd say a good five, six years of my life was dark. It was pretty hard. Sure. And it's it's funny because Seamless is a, is a band that I think now people can listen to and get it. Whereas, like, granted, you guys obviously had a modicum of success in regards to, like, you know, some yeah. video play. Kinda, like sort of, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I was, like, a very, whatever, small slice, comparatively speaking, obviously, what you did with Killswitch. But then now I think people can retroactively listen to it and be like, oh, yeah, if, like, Seamless, like, if you existed in 2016 or 2015, like, more people might gravitate towards it immediately. Yeah, we looked at ourselves as, like, a band like Only Living Witness or, right. um, you know, just a, we were doing something that just wasn't in trend. It didn't really make sense. No. The hybrid of what we were doing didn't really make sense until afterwards, you know, the whole stoner rock blues with the touches of hardcore here and there. But yeah. So be it, you know. I think it was a big learning thing for me. And, like, to be out of the huge spotlight and to sort of build myself up and actually fall in love with touring again, that was huge for me. It was kind of like a training wheels in a way. That, yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah. I mean, just, like, it could be like get you acclimated to the fact of, like, because I'm sure, like, through those dark times, I mean, that's, that's, when, pe- that's when you learn the most about yourself. You just nailed it right in the head. Okay. I did. I found strength and I found um, discipline and I found... Uh, confidence that I didn't have before really because of what I went through yeah interesting the confidence because I I would I mean there's an element of obviously singing that that is kind of inherently defined as confidence because you need to be confident to like face the audience and that sort of stuff but I would never have like been able to kind of peg you as an unconfident person oh yeah oh my god in regards to just the I mean obviously now like with the the anxiety and all that stuff that you're speaking about um, but that's interesting so the confidence was kind of the the yeah, one of the huge things you learned during that. Let me look back at old footage of when I was singing with Killswitch, even just on YouTube videos. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of eye contact with the audience. It was a lot of like, that's up and past and right. Right now, I'm very conscious of like getting in people's eyes and being in that moment to them. Interesting. Know? I got that from um, Jet, the singer from uh, Sand Black Church. Um, we played a few shows with them when I was in Seamless, and he's kind of like old school Boston, you know hardcore guy that I really admired and I remember him taking me aside and be like you're a really good vocalist at what you do but you need to start looking people in the eye you know you need to like really if you really want to get your message across or whatever right. you're trying to do it's not going to happen without the eye contact right and it was like a little light bulb went up and I was like he's right <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I love Sand Black Church sure he was always like <clears throat> dagger in your eyes like all about his engagement with the audience. Right. No, that's a, that's a, that's a very good point. Because, yeah, there's definitely, that's something you learn as you obviously you get older. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, that is an important factor. And he took time to, like, tell me. Right. And I was like, I'm you're like, thanks. Forever grateful for that. Yeah. Totally. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the, the notion, obviously, like, once you once you return and you've, you've got the training wheels off, <laughs> the, um, 
and obviously like where you're currently sitting is the the you have mechanisms to deal with like you said your anxiety and all that sort of stuff um and i'm sure because of that it makes it easier for you to exist in the context of the band yeah yeah absolutely well before i was kind of along for the ride now i'm one of the driving people you know like i don't just passively do whatever is status quo in this band i'm a, I'm a catalyst i i try to push for certain things are our, our, for example just one of the things that i can think of right now is like before with the band you know th for music videos for example they would have directors give them treatments and they would kind of just like ah pick a treatment and you guys we'll just whatever like right don't we'll put you in a warehouse you're good they, yeah we're like well, who cares it doesn't matter right or for me it was like having worked with my other band empire show fall we were all very hands-on with what we did and again that diy spirit came back to me mm -hmm. through that band which was after seamless yep when i joined this band it was like okay the last few videos you guys did did you like them? Did you, like... I mean, mine is Holy Diver, because it's hysterical. Of course. But for the most part, they're just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's cool. They're indifferent to it. Right. So it's like, well, why don't we come up with videos that we actually look at, and we're like, oh, that's that's us. That's cool. That makes sense. So uh, we met McFarland and Petchy, the video team, and became fast friends with those guys. It's Ian from Blood for Blood. Blood, Blood yeah. And uh, Mike, who's just a brilliant film um, director and camera guy. And we haven't stopped working with them since. They come to us. We have I, I have a discussion with them. It's usually just me and those two guys. We discuss the song. I tell them what it's all about. It's like a real hands-on approach. And that comes from a confidence in my vision through my lyrics and through even the artwork on this most recent record came from a dream that I have. So I'm putting my stamp on things. Where before I was just kind of going along for the ride and allowing Mike and Adam to sort of drive Right. So with this band now, where we are, I'm one of the five members that's pushing forward. We're all doing it. Sure. And it wasn't like that before. That's cool. But yeah, your voice is present as opposed to, like you said, just kind of like, well, I'm here to yeah, see my lyrics. Yeah, I have ownership now of, of this band where I don't think I did before. Right. Um, and I promise last thing, but because I, I was very interested in kind of what we were talking about in the, the fact that you do... Uh, you intend you're very intentional about the way that you obviously present the music that you're into in order to obviously like we were talking about before influence people um in a positive way to be like oh like i wonder what that is because it's real easy to look at obviously kill switch engage and just kind of paint you guys with a broad brush and be right. like oh whatever it's like yeah it's a metal band like cool like whatever but then because you're doing what you're doing you know wearing t-shirts talking about bands that, you know, are, are lost to the times, <laughs> lost to the sands of time. Right. Um, do you do you get, like, feedback from people? Like, do people, you know, uh, I, I guess interact with you to be like, oh, I checked out that band because of yes. you or whatever? Yes, and that makes me so happy. Right. I love it. You know, because we're a quote-unquote metal band, but we all come from hardcore. Right. And to me, it's like, that's a badge of pride. It's like, you know, it's a culture. I'm going to take it to the grave. And when we go out and play festivals in front of all those people, you know, and I'm wearing a seven-second shirt, to me it's like, that's my nod to, like, my culture, my community. Sure. And now, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm wearing, like, a vest. It's a whole different look for this album. But, you know, again, interviews and photo shoots, I'm very aware of what I'm doing, and I'm trying to represent where I come from, and it's important. Right. So. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's... Because uh kids who only know Metallica and Pantera are, like, if you haven't heard Dead Guy, if you haven't heard Integrity, like it's gonna blow your mind. Totally, this will, 
this will shed a light onto a whole rabbit hole you have no idea. Yeah, and like that's just gonna lead to other like the amount of amazing bands that come from hardcore as a broad term. Of course. And to all those subgenres that you know it wasn't about metal like you know you you know how it was in the nineties like there was a divide in the sand between metal mm-hmm. those dudes with the big fuzzy moppy hair with <laughs> black t-shirts and huge high tops in my mind at a certain point i couldn't relate to that the beer swilling like do bro like at one point in my life i was like that's not what i want to be a part of at right. all the guys with the short hair that were really pissed off playing fast music without the solos and the sloppiness you know clean cut hardcore dudes i was like that's my culture right and then as i grow older to see the two merge is beautiful, but I think some of those bands got lost in translation when we started to call ourselves metal bands. Sure. And Slayer became the band that people would point to and be like, yeah, we love Slayer. It's like, dude, two months ago you were wearing an Earth Crisis shirt. <coughs> you know, like, so it's right. important for me to continue to say, hey, wait, we're a metal band. Metal's cool and all, and I dig it, but check this band out. Sure. There's and, I, and I love when I get messages or comments from people who are like, whoa, I just discovered integrity. You told me to get Dead of Iniquity and Those Who Fear Tomorrow and I can't even believe how good this is. It's so different. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like score for us. Yeah, you're like, you're like the band could break up tomorrow and like I feel like I've already made a mark. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's important for me, man. No, it totally is. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's something that uh, is obviously only going to um, not only endear yourself to that particular person you expose the music to, but then just endear yourself to... Um, you know, passing on the lineage that people need to people need to understand where each band comes from. Yeah, and you nowadays the roots aren't very long at all. No, you know? you, you, I talk to fans who are fans of us that like they grew up listening to Lincoln Park and have no idea <laughs> the hardcore. They didn't even know what hardcore is. They no, have no idea. Totally. And you could name the biggest band you could think of in the hardcore scene. They're just it's a blank stare. Have no idea what you're talking about. Right. It's like it's like the the. How mind blowing it is! Like whatever I, you know, used to work with a guy who was like whatever, you know, twenty one, twenty two years old. He's straight edge. His introduction to straight edge, Davey Havoc, which isn't mm. a bad thing, but it's just so funny where it's just like, wait, like literally, it's the first time you heard about straight edge, Davey Havoc, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And it's just like, I mean, it's like two generations past like the <laughs> original straight edge. Yeah. Totally, it's just it's it's mind blowing, but it's like well, as long as that person does the homework and realizes like, oh, okay, like I see why. They'd be having straight edge because he got an earth crisis and yep. predates minor threat and everything. But it's like, or yeah. like David Smalley and like right exactly DYS and totally all that youth crew. I t- yeah. I still love that stuff. No, so. I know. Well, I can tell the w- the way you speak about it is obviously ripe with affection, and I think that that translates to other people because you're still enthusiastic about mm-hmm. it. That will make other people more interested in checking it out. Yeah, it's like when I'm on the road and I, and and I someone will mention a band. You're like, wait, wait you, you like hardcore? <laughs> it becomes like a three-hour love fest. Of course. With a complete stranger that becomes my friend totally. because of the music. Totally. And it's that's the culture of it. Yeah, it's exactly. It's the difference between <coughs> where metal, you know, was big for a while. Like, you be, look, look at bands like Black Sabbath, Judas Priest. That culture was existing for a while. It's a much bigger global thing. Where when we were growing up in hardcore, it was very specific to where you were from and it was a small intimate scene that only became bigger through the years but if I knew somebody liked Agnostic Front when I was 17 years old it was like 
oh, we're going to talk. Right. I want to know what else you know. Totally. We're best friends immediately. Yeah. I'll, exactly. I'll sleep on your floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jesse, I really appreciate your time. Oh, this, this has been one of my favorite ones so far. Man. Like I said, I, I hope it was dessert. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it, was, it was stimulating and fun. I was real proud of that conversation. It was, um, it's always fun to be able to obviously connect with the person, obviously over music, but then just be able to uh, dialogue with one another. That's kind of why I left a lot of those uh, spaces in there in regards to uh, him and I just honestly having discussions. Uh, normally, I maybe tend to take those out, but like at the very beginning of the episode where he notices the unbroken patch on my mobile recording bag, he that's why I left it in there, just because, like I said, you could tell his enthusiasm for music nostalgia for all the stuff that he grew up with but at the same time also being completely active and completely participating in everything that is happening within independent music i just love it so thank you so much jesse and thank you very much uh, abc aretto who is an old friend of mine who hooked up the interview i really appreciate that oh man so back to the june bloom but we'll be good i promise so um next week it will be another awesome stimulating conversation i'm not gonna reveal who it is we'll we'll teaser you know because um and frankly, I'm actually conducting the interview this afternoon. Dun, dun, dun. So you get a little, uh, a little behind-the-scenes <laughs> peek at sometimes how uh, quickly these episodes come together. But in any event, please visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Please, you can actually see that we have a show archive there, and you'll be able to dive into all of the episodes. It's a super easy link. You can actually send around to your friends. Be like, yo, check this show out. Boom, here you go. Here's like 100 or 200 and some odd episodes of this thing. So do that you can email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com and please until next week be safe oh wait hold on lowercase noises is the music don't forget it i'll talk to you next week be safe everyone you've been listening to the jabberjaw podcast network jabberjawmedia.com